Hello and a warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. Today I am joined by Roddy McKean and Willie Olofse of leading Kenyan law firm Anjawala and Kana, a member of ALN. Roddy and Willie represent the firm's corporate and forensic investigations departments respectively, and we're here today to talk through some of the fascinating intersections between these two areas. Now, Willie, I'm going to start with you. Forensics and investigations, it has a rather ominous tone to it. So for the uninitiated, what does your practice deliver and provide for clients in reality? So yeah, um, definitely. I mean, I I normally tell my partners that um, I don't receive many Christmas cards uh, come end of the year uh, based on the work I'm doing. Traditionally, I think we've we've done uh, most of our work uh, in a reactive space. So we've done investigations, and that may be the the negative connectivity to that. Um, but we're also doing a lot of proactive work, and that changed over the years. Uh, where we're actually helping clients proactively. Um, and that might include things like uh, proactively ma- managing fraud risk, uh, regulatory risk, putting compliance programs in place from a um, anti-bribery corruption point of view or from an uh, anti-money laundering point of view, or even now lately um, getting involved in cyber and, and data privacy. So, so yes, we still do forensic investigations because there's definitely a place for it. Um, and and our clients are using that to claim from insurance companies to take action against individuals. Uh, but that's not all we do. We we also do quite a bit in the proactive space. And Roddy, I'm going to pivot over to you here. And look, as Willie's just alluded to, the proactive side of thing is probably what intersects mostly with your work as head of the firm's corporate department. And M and A in particular is an area where. Many of the issues that Willie just went through, uh, you know, can crop up. There's compliance issues, there's anti-money ordering issues, there's know your customer issues. So, look, it's it's tricky enough managing cross-border M&A issues. So where does the forensics play, particularly on the proactive side of things, slot in to your work advising on um, M&A and, and other corporate transactions? Okay, so I think I think... Basically, um, it adds strength to the offering that we're uh, able to offer our clients um, because I think increasingly um, investors are uh, concerned about is- the kind of issues that Willie's been talking about, fraud, cybersecurity, etc., um, and have recognized because of uh, their own experience that these are issues that need to be addressed before an acquisition rather than after. Um, and I think that's where um, the ability to bring in uh, a forensic aspect to our due diligence um, is hugely helpful. Um, because at the end of the day, with any due diligence process, you know, prevention is better than the cure. So, um, you know, we, we spend a lot of our time trying to identify risks uh, in in a target business before you do the deal, so that you can proactively sort those out um, ahead of the deal happening, um, and th- and that you know can impact in a number of different ways. Um, it can it could potentially mean if you identify an issue that there's going to be a price reduction, or you may have a specific indemnity to cover it, 
or some other provision, or, or you may decide not to do the deal at all. Um, so I, I think it's it's a um, it helps us to develop a much broader uh, approach to risks and managing those risks in a target business. Uh, and I think clients are increasingly beginning to understand that uh, the issue, the kind of issues that uh, that Willie deals with are things that they really need to take seriously. And uh, Roddy, you may well be best placed for this quick follow-up. You mentioned price reduction there, and I'm interested to dive in a bit more. Are you seeing parties in an M&A transaction actually sense-checking or seeking to have a, a truer reflection of, of pricing through investigations or is that something that naturally comes up and it's something that you can advise on what what i'm trying to articulate here is is the utilization of forensics and investigations a a sword sometimes as well as a shield when someone is actually seeking a true reflection of an asset's price for example yeah, I mean, it certainly can be used in that way. I think, I think you know, everyone recognises that the due diligence, you know, when a, when a deal is struck at the outset, it's done on a certain amount of information provided by the seller and the target. Uh, and obviously things move ahead then to the detailed due diligence. So there is always uh, an aspect of due diligence which could lead to a price reduction. Um I, I think that when you're talking about kind of fraud or uh, some kind of uh, non-compliance issue, which potentially uh, Willie could, could discover, you actually may be having a much more fundamental discussion than just price reduction. Uh, because, I mean, obviously a lot of our, um, the kind of clients that we act for are international investors who you know, um, are reporting often if they're private equity funds to limited partners, etc. There's a very high level of of integrity involved, and therefore, you know, where, where there are allegations of fraud or something like that, then it does often cause uh, an investor to, uh, you know, really reconsider whether this is a deal they want to do. What it paints a picture of is. This is a solution that can be utilized to real benefit at, at many different stages, you know, uh, deep into a deal at the offset. But I'm interested in client trends here when it comes to actually utilizing the benefit that can be realized through forensics and investigations. And this is probably one for, for you, Willie. The due diligence phase of an M&A transaction traditionally was almost a, a tick box exercise. But as as the solution, as the technology has empowered us to go deeper and deeper, the the proactive approach has become not only more beneficial, but more realizable. Are clients starting to understand this? You know, are they starting to approach due diligence on almost a, a rolling basis rather than simply a stage to be completed? What what's the what's the dynamic looking like? So let me go back a couple of years. I, I really got involved in in due diligence, or I, I've, I've um, evaluated how a due diligence was done whilst doing an investigation on a transaction that went bad. So, they, and, and, and Roddy, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what we're seeing is that there are more and more action from uh, buyers against sellers 
over the last three, four years. So, so we, we actually see people taking action. I got involved in, a, in an investigation. It was an asset purchase. Um, and uh, three, four months after uh, they closed the transaction, they realized that the forecasts uh, of revenue, they were way off. Um, a long story short, we've done the investigation and the findings were they've inflated the revenue by 600%. Okay, going back. So when I look at it now and I've evaluated the, the four due diligence reports um, at the time, so there was a legal due diligence done. Obviously, that was done well because uh, subsequent to this, the client um, was successful in claiming against uh, the seller. However, if I'm looking at the tax, financial, uh, and environmental due diligence, you had these four due diligence reports, all of them uh, very, very, I mean, really significant, um, lots of detail, but no one really had a holistic view of the four reports together. So, so the words I normally use is no one stitched it together. So if I look at the, when, when I looked at the tax, and financial reports, there were clear um, indications that there's, a, there, there's an issue uh, and the issue is, is with revenue. So, so if, if someone really read through the 400 pages uh, and really understood uh, the detailed findings, they would have picked it up. Now, um, we forward three, four years, we're in a place now where I have a client that actually asked me to facilitate this entire process because I understand risk. Roddy, Roddy mentioned that they do lots of work before transaction on risk, legal risk and the likes. We really understand risk. So we, can, we sit with the four teams, the lawyers, the, the financial team, the tax team, and understand the risks they've identified. And then we'll get, go one step further and identify additional risks. We then map those risks with your tick box that you mentioned in terms of the things that the four different uh, categories or four different service providers will do to make sure that, that we cover all the risks that we identify as well. And then I think critically is then afterwards, we, we have various meetings with the, with the various teams and, and together. And by, by brainstorming those things, we come up with procedures that either they're going to, to perform or in the event that, that it's not part of the, the scope uh, then we, we perform those procedures for, for the client to make sure that we, we assess all those risks. So to answer your question, I, I've seen over the last five years, there's a dramatic shift in terms of, of the use of due diligence. Um, and then we, we've got the ESG, uh, which more and more, um, there's an emphasis on that. So not only one, do we want to, to, to make money, not only do we want to uh, financially perform well, but there are other responsibilities on our international investors uh, that, that becomes more and more important as well. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there when it comes to the, uh, the, the siloed view. Each party involved in the, the, the risk analysis and the due diligence isn't doing anything wrong. They're creating really good legal risk reports, really good ESG reports. But it's the intersections between those that where the the detail the devil's in the detail. 
you know, how is this ESG assessment actually lining up with the financial projections? Like you've just said financial projections are absolutely fine. But you've also just flagged the fact that it's likely that a, I don't know, a huge carbon tax is about to come into the jurisdiction that you're mentioning. That has a huge impact. So yeah, stitching things together, it makes it makes so much sense here. I've got a quick follow-up here on the the, the tech nerd in me uh, uh, coming out. A lot gets made of e-discovery, and I'm back from uh, my in my my, my my former life. I was very heavily involved in the e-discovery world, uh, particularly in the US, and it is part and parcel. Like every single matter, every single transaction, there's a huge amount of focus on e-discovery and utilizing technology there. Is this a trend that you're starting to see emerge in in the African matters? Are the international investors starting to demand access to the kinds of technology and reams of data that would be par for the course in, say, a European or a US transaction? Or are the regulatory frameworks or the technology accessibility still stifling the ability to be that demanding when it comes to information disclosure, when it comes to due diligence and so on? I mean, I think, um, Tom, we, I mean, as a firm, we've invested in a lot of technology platforms to make the way we work um, more efficient, more cost effective, etc. What One of those tools is an AI platform, which enables uh, us to, uh, for instance, uh, upload the contents of a data room uh, where the AI platform reviews all the documents uh, in uh, in the data room, and and often a data room is you know could be a thousand documents, um, which uh, in normal circumstances we'd be reviewing. Uh, we'd have individual humans reviewing them. Roddy, see, I was about to correct you there. Don't try and hit me with we. That is poor paralegal stuck <laughs> in a windowless room. <laughs> I'm playing though. The the technology angle is absolutely huge. There, do do go on. So you you can s- search for change of control clauses or you can search for particular touch words that um you know help you to um uh be more efficient in in particularly when there's masses of of, of voluminous documents so uh, and we're always looking at, at different ways to kind of use technology to uh and it's not just make make ourselves more efficient it's it's you know a, an ai program is 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 less fallible than human beings uh, and therefore you know you're more guaranteed to pick up absolutely everything where whereas humans make mistakes so uh, i think there's there's a there's a kind of protection element as well of making sure that we are picking up absolutely everything and it's the speed component there as well the the ability you know you're never going to Uh, trust uh, uh, technology necessarily full circle but if it allows you to get through those first stages of diligence and then onto human review and say look disregard disregarding is probably the key component of due diligence you know you've got to separate the wheat from the chaff as quickly as possible get some decent human eyes on it and that's how you keep these 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 flowing much quicker i mean out of interest have you seen a, a real consolidation in the time period that these transactions are typically uh, uh, taking over the, the the last ten years or so, or has the complexity of the deals helped offset the the kind of time uh, 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 constriction that we might see on a transaction? 
I mean, I think I think obviously um, the time pressures which clients have agreed with their counterparty often dictate how quickly these things happen. Um, technology does help, but um, and I think it does help speed things up. Obviously, over the last couple of years, I think because of COVID and the whole situation around that, probably that has slowed up uh, general transaction management anyway, uh, because things have had to be done virtually rather than physically. Um, but, um, you know, there's no question that um, there, there's an increasing pressure for, for deals to be done quickly. And I, I think... We don't see it quite so often in Africa as as you might see in other develop more developed markets, but where you're selling a business or an asset through an auction process, there's often a built-in time pressure to react very quickly because you're in a competitive situation. Um, but we're seeing more and more businesses being sold through auction processes now uh, within Africa. So I think that uh, will only um, mean that there will be an increase in terms oh, sorry a decrease in the t in the time that um, it takes to uh, 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 close deals it's interesting stuff Willie did you have something to add on to that sure I, I just want to mention something on technology I mean from a forensic risk and compliance point of view what we do is is let me explain the process so so when we get involved we do a risk assessment so I identify all the risks around it we then look at uh, potential processes, policies, and all of that around the risks that we've identified. In other words, do they have the control environment to to mitigate those risks? If, if they don't have that, we then uh, go into a third phase, which is transaction testing. Now, um, this is quite broad. It's not only financial transactions, but if it is financial transactions, then obviously there's some technology that we're using to to go through through some of the financial information. Um, but we also have access to certain databases. Uh, let me give you an example. We got involved in a, in a transaction in a specific industry and the industry was prone for um, uh, price fixing or, or that was common in the industry. And then we went through the risk assessment. We identified that that was a risk. We realized that there was no, uh, no con real controls around that. And then we, we also realized that they had a very strong a dominant CEO and, and some um, human elements that, that increase the risk for us. And then what we've done was to go through our databases and even the internet, and within a day, we identified that three or four competitors uh, and, 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 and the, the target will increase their prices within a day, and the price increase was always exactly the same. So this is a simple example, but... But, but something that we, we use to, to have our risk-based approach, but at the same time to use technology to databases, financial uh, or technology to do analytics and the likes to, to enhance our service offering. And you've touched upon something I think absolutely vital to understand and this is the human component. You know, all the technology can be at play, all the data can be at play, but you've got to look at how that intersects with the personalities involved as well. You talk about a dominant CEO, his voice was gospel, you know, instantly that raises red flags of saying, okay, does that mean the compliance process was bypassed at certain points because ex-CEO decided? And that does bring me on to another question, Willie, is yours is a, it's a 
career path less trodden, particularly in African markets. You know, you're a previous uh, uh, big four operator, um, then moving into a uh, uh, kind of uh, in-house, if you will, at, at a law firm. This approach to forensics probably needs a, a, a different skill set than you might t- traditionally find. So to your mind, what are some of the personal skill sets that you need to see or need to express to find success in, in, in forensics and investigations, particularly with the African market nuance thrown in there as well for extra fun? It, it's a good question. And, and I, I had this quite often. Um, first of all, I think you must look at um, the, the actual skill sets that, that we use. So we've got accountants in our team. We've got corporate finance people in our team. We've got uh, former law enforcement people in our team. We've got lawyers as part of the team. Um, We've got more and more corporate intelligence people as part of the team that can work these databases that I refer to um, looking for assets and that that type of thing. So, and then IT becomes critical because these days, if if you don't understand the, the infrastructure and the IT around some of these things, then, then it's a non-starter. So, so those are the, the skill sets that I think are critical. But to be successful in, in this space, I think it takes a bit more than that. So let me give you an example. I've been doing investigations with great accountants, uh, but they don't ask the right questions because they're such a good accountant. If you sit in front of a CFO and the CFO um, is dominant, and he's, he will tell the accountant, listen, you don't know the, the difference between a debit and a credit. And the accountant will back off. Whereas the, the forensic accountant will say, you know what, maybe I am stupid. Maybe I don't get it. But explain to me. Um, I mean, it's a different mindset. Is uh, looking at risk, uh, understand the organization, whatever you do, understand um, and be patient. I mean, it's 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 probably the uh, career where you have to be the most patient under enormous pressure. So, so I think professional skepticism, that's, that's critical. Uh, you, need, you really need someone that enjoys this type of work because it is not easy. It's, it's, you're under pressure all the time. Like I mentioned, you don't get Christmas cards. Um, and and it's really, it's, it's, it's really, it can be a, a lonely place. Um, but but it, it's once in Africa specifically, we've seen um, a lot of uh, investment in this space. We've got massive um, organizations um, dealing with forensic investigations. You normally find that um, there are different skills uh, needed for the proactive and the reactive side. But in general, I mean, I think those are the those are the critical points that I'm looking at. There's yeah, one go more. on, Willie. There's one yeah. more, and that is trust. Um, it is fundamental, and it's probably the I'll rather work with um, someone that is maybe not as qualified, but that one can trust three hundred percent than the other way around. I think I, I like the dichotomy there of professional skepticism with trust, Roddy. It's so interesting to hear about this flexible valuable tool that the firm has obviously invested so much in in the forensics and investigations department so with our kind of crystal ball in hand where are you looking forward to or where do you think that extra value is going to come through in 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 future trends where 
is the intersection of of corporate and forensics uh, going? You know, what are you already seeing? And and you know, if we if we can crystal ball a bit, what do you think is coming down the line? So I think I think what is happening is is that there's a growing realization um, for for a lot of um, both our clients and those of us who work in this space that. Um, uh, there, there are always better ways to do things. You know, having having worked both in the developed uh, world as an M&A lawyer and worked in emerging markets, um, which I've done probably for half my career, uh, there is quite a difference in, in the way one approaches uh, risk. Uh, and, you know, we are in Africa, we are dealing with a higher level of risk and challenge uh, in every deal that we do, than perhaps you might be doing in Europe or um, or North America, uh, just because of the the business environment. I think what is quite interesting for me is that we've seen over the last couple of years a trend in the developed market because of COVID and the impact of COVID for a lot of the deals in those markets to actually reflect a lot of the mechanisms that we use as standard uh, process, whether it's um, you know, conditions to closing and the types of conditions that you use. Because you know, coming back to the due diligence point, we're seeing increasingly a condition to the deal that you're allowed to continue your due diligence through the negotiation of the contract. You never used to see that ever. Um, we're seeing, um, you know, price mechanism structures so that there's delayed payment of some of the consideration to take account of the fact that uh, there are potential risks in the business where you want a couple of years to know that, you know, that risk has been dealt with um, and is not going to financially impact the business. So I think, um, you know, although, although I'm saying the developed market is is coming closer to us in recognizing some of those risks. I think we at the same time are also recognizing that the risks in, in African business are things where we're getting a lot more sophisticated in identifying and the, the whole point of identifying them ahead of the deal rather than uh, once you've done the deal uh, is absolutely key. Uh, and the uh, point that Willie raised about stitching together uh, due diligence reports is probably the most important uh, aspect of how I see things developing uh, in the future. Thanks for that insight, Roddy. And gents, I am sad to say that does bring us to time. So a very big thank you for joining me here today. And as always, a very big thank you to all of our listeners. Um, If you happen to be new to the Africa Legal Podcast, do not fear. You can find our entire back catalogue on all reputable podcast service providers, including SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And as always, be sure to visit us at africalegal.com for all the news, views, and insights that improve your life as a modern African legal legal practitioner. So without further ado, this has been Willie, Roddy and Tom signing off for the Africa Legal Podcast.